Hey everybody and welcome to the final bonus NICU Awareness Month episode on My Sentiments Exactly. My name is Kay and I'm your host. For those who may not know, September is NICU Awareness Month, something very dear to my heart as my daughter was born prematurely and journeyed through the NICU. I'm so excited to have a special guest, Tiffany Finley, NICU mom, doula, author, and founder of My Predestined One with me on the show to help bring awareness. MSE podcast is dedicated to talking about the hard stuff and facilitating the conversations necessary for growth, healing, transformation, and genuine community. Now it's your turn. My hope is that you finish this episode feeling empowered to continue the conversation with those around you. One way you can do that is by purchasing the MSE podcast conversation starters deck available at bygracenp.com. May these cards inspire you to speak out and be heard, and may you be authentically embraced for the uniqueness of your journey. So Tiffany, why do you feel NICU awareness is important? NICU awareness is important because there are so many women out there who aren't aware of what being in a NICU entails, uh, premature birth entails. I used to be one of those women. And I just recall before having my son, um, I only knew one other person who gave birth prematurely, but I didn't understand the extent to what that entailed. Um, In my mind, I just felt like, you know, okay, their baby was born premature and, you know, they need a little bit of help and that's all. But boy, is it so much more than that. Um, <laughs> Whoa, man. So NICU awareness for me is it's important because, for one, people need to be made aware of what, what, what it entails, what it looks like, what to expect. Mm-hmm. And even if you're, you know, if you're not a high-risk pregnancy or if you don't have any type of complications, you still need to make yourself knowledgeable about what 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 entails the NICU and, you know, what happens in the NICU. Um, when I had my son, uh, he was in there for four months, literally four months. Wow. Trying to fight for life. And I just remember feeling like I had no control over that. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. <laughs> and I can I'm be sure. a bit of a control freak. Um. And so I just I just felt like I had no control over that, and I didn't. And the only thing I knew to do in that moment was to cling to my faith, reach out to God, and say, Lord, we need you. We need you at this mm-hmm. moment. We need you at this time to just see our baby boy through this. And <clears throat> I just remember being wheeled down to the NICU for the first time after delivering him via cesarean and seeing all these wires and tubes connected to him. Yes. And my heart broke. Yeah, my heart just broke because I was not—I just was not prepared. I mean, yeah, you know, just seeing him like there like that, and I had tried everything in my power to make sure, you know, that I had a healthy pregnancy, just kind of watching exactly, what I yeah. and, you know, making sure I went to my appointments, taking my prenatals, like doing all my little checklist things to it's, make sure I did what for I was real, doing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so when we landed in the NICU because of you know a bulging water bag and composite cervix, I dilated a centimeter and a half already, and it was just, you know, I just kept dilating. So my OB at the time said that he felt that we needed to go ahead and um, deliver. And um, 
I just was not prepared. I was not prepared for all the machines for the ventilator and it's, you know, super loud in there and all it these beeping yeah. noises. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was not prepared and just to see his little body laying there trying to breathe and his chest yeah. just rising back up and down, up and down so quickly. Yeah. Like that was just it was shocking and it was like, Lord, we need you with this. Yeah. So it's very important to just make women you know, and and make husbands and wives knowledgeable about, you know, what is the NICU and, you know, Mm -hmm. what are some of the reasons why you would end up in the NICU and what premature birth is and, you know, some of the things that you're going to be faced with while you're in the NICU. I feel like had I known or been a little bit more knowledgeable about that, Mm -hmm. not to say it wouldn't, it would have taken away like, you know, me being afraid or anything, but I would have been a little bit prepared in some way had I known, you know. And um, so I feel like it's it's very important that we raise awareness about, you know, what the NICU entails and how to prepare yourself for that and, you know, the the, the people that are going to be caring for your baby and, you know, mm-hmm. how you, mm-hmm, and how you're going to have to, you know, kind of allow them to care for your baby, but then yeah. you're still being included, but you're not being able to do everything exactly. you normally would do. Yeah. With the, with the full-term baby. So, it's an adjustment, and it's scary, and I wish that on no one at all. And, oh, no. um, you know, every chance that I get, I'm trying to make people aware about premature birth and, and mm-hmm. the NICU and what that entails. So awareness, I feel that it is very important so that you're able to better prepare yourself in some way should you ever be put in that predicament. Yeah. Yeah, because it's definitely nothing planned. <laughs> it's not at all. Like, you're just yeah. going along, and your pregnancy's great. And then in mm-hmm. my case, I went to my doctor's appointment, just a regular appointment with yeah. my high-risk OB, and he's just, you know, doing my sonogram and stuff. And then he starts talking about bulging water bags and incompetent cervix. And I'm wondering, well, why is he talking about this? Like, where are we going, you know? Yeah. And um, then he started you know, to explain to me that, that I had a bulging water bag and an incompetent cervix, and I would need to be put on hospital bed rest. And wow. so I went on hospital bed rest at about 22, almost 23 weeks. Wow. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I went into the hospital, strict hospital bed rest. Um, they kept me in the, they call it the Trendelenburg position or T-Bird position, and that's where your head is like almost down to the floor and your feet are up to the ceiling to keep pressure off my cervix. Hmm. Um, to keep me from further dilating, but that still kind of didn't help at all, and I ended yeah. up delivering my son at 25 plus five weeks. Oh, so okay. okay. It, it was a journey. <laughs> I'm sure. It was a journey. I'm sure. Yeah, my daughter was born at 29. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But I was, I was on bed rest for, for four, four days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was on bed rest for four days. That was not fun. <laughs> yeah, it isn't. It um, isn't at all. Yeah. What would you say are the most common, some of the most common misconceptions that you came across, um, whether it was from, you know, strangers or people you knew? Um, oh what are God. some of the misconceptions <laughs> that you feel are related to NICU awareness and that, you know, that needs to kind of be touched on? Ooh, one of the biggest things is that a preemie or a micro preemie is not the same as a full-term baby. It is not. One more um, time for the people in the back. Yes, in the cute <laughs> seat. 
preemies and micro preemies are not the same as full term babies. And reason being because their their lungs and stuff are underdeveloped and compromised. Okay. And so even when they're discharged from the NICU, you still have to guard them from germs and people's coughs and nasty hands and, you know, all of that. And, you know, I just remember when Caleb came home and just trying to explain to people, I think when he was in the NICU, like, I kept my cell phone. And, well, they had us put our cell phones in a plastic bag, like, to, you know, keep germs off and everything. And so when he came home, I found myself still doing that. And so people just didn't understand, well, why is your phone in a plastic bag or, you know, why yeah. this and why that? So just having to kind of educate people on I'm yeah. trying to protect him from germs. And if you have yeah. the slightest of a cough, please don't come by. Um, yeah. If you have a runny yeah. nose, don't come by because their, their immunity, their immune systems are, can be compromised and it can land them back in the NICU um, trying to fight for their lives because their, you know, their immunity is not as, as strong. Their lungs mm-hmm. are still trying to catch up. Um so that is one of the biggest misconceptions. And preemie babies and micro preemies being around germs, exposing them to germs, letting them play, you know, on the floor or letting aunties hold them does not build up their immunity to germs. Exposing them to germs does not build up their immunity. It, it, is, it does not at all. And so that's one of the big things that I just had to kind of keep reiterating to family and friends that, you know, he's not a full-term baby. And even the way we had to feed him, um, I remember mm-hmm. us having to kind of like tilt him a little bit and then give yep. him give him his bottle and then kind of, you know, let him drink and then kind of, you know, pull pull the bottle yep. out of his mouth. So just trying to educate people on, you know, again, he's not a full-term baby, so there's a certain position that he has to be in when he's feeding. So, you know, friends and family, some people didn't understand that. And so it's just a lot when you have, you know, a micro preemie that you just have to kind of alter um, that you wouldn't necessarily have to alter with a full-term baby. And so, you know, just making people, making sure that people are washing their hands and, uh, you know, sanitizing even after they wash their hands. And I remember – Caleb's pediatrician telling me, you know, whenever we went to other doctor's appointments to ask the other doctors to clean off their, um, uh, is it the stethoscope that they put on mm-hmm. that? Yes, yeah, the stethoscope to use like a little san- sanitation wipe to um, clean off the stethoscope okay. and everything, you know, so that germs wouldn't be passed to him that way. I mean, it was just a lot of, you know, can you please not do this or can you, you know, yeah. wash your hands or can you clean this or can you not come by or it yeah. was, so that's, that's a lot of the, one of the misconceptions. Um, I think that's the biggest one for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think another misconception is that, you know, people kind of um, compare preemies to full-time babies in like mm-hmm. reaching developmental milestones. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, uh, fine motor skills and their uh, gross motor skills, like, again, premature babies are still trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. And so whereas a full-term six-month-old may be crawling at six months. Mm-hmm. But I remember my son, he didn't crawl until he was probably about nine months because he was still catching up. Yeah. And so just trying to, again, explain it to people like, no, he's okay. We're not worried. You know, he was a premature. Yeah. He's got to catch up. He'll, he'll get there when it's time. You know, and so um, just, again, explaining to pre- to people, to individuals that a full-term and a preemie baby and a micro-preemie, they're not the same, like, you know, developmentally and, 
you know, their immunity isn't the same and, and just trying to just get people to understand that and, you know, get where you're coming from. Like you're not trying to be rude, but you're yeah. trying to protect the health of your baby because you don't want them to be rehospitalized, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so especially yeah. in this time of your RSV season, like it's, woof, no, you don't want your baby hospitalized again. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the um, precautions that you took during, you know, RS, RSV season? How old is your son now? He is six now. He's six and a half. Okay. He'll be seven in December. What um, were some of the precautions that you took, you know, during the RSV season? Um, he got his synergist shot. That was very, very important, um, getting his synergist shot. And um, we were also on lockdown. So um, we were on lockdown, I think, a whole – during RSV season, um, but also even, you know, past RSV season, we had to be on lockdown because Caleb was, you know, a micropremie. And so um, mm-hmm. my pulmonologist, he was just, you know, um, just very, uh, very intentional about, intentional about telling us, hey, don't go, you know, out to public places where it's crowded or – don't take them, like, don't go to the mall and don't go to restaurants and, mm-hmm. you know, stay in and, you know, if you can. And that's, that's what we did. For me, it wasn't if you can. It was I, we're, we're going to do this. That's you what know. we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is what's happening. So it was probably a whole year and a half that we were really on lockdown. Wow. And um, we didn't, I didn't take him to a grocery store, didn't take him to a restaurant. Like, if we needed things here at the house or, you know, groceries or errands like my husband mainly did that or either he would stay with Caleb and I would do that like we would just kind of alternate like that um just to make sure that we was again like protecting his health um Mm -hmm. several other precautions we had to take um during RSV season and as well like when when a preemie first comes home and if they're discharged on supplemental oxygen. I know Caleb had to come home on some supplemental oxygen. Oxygen, So we had to call our um, electric company company to let them know to put us on the priority list, you know, if the lights went out or gotcha. there's a power outage or something. Like yeah. things like that that you don't even think, yeah. you know, you don't even think about. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. Mm-hmm. So that was another precaution we had to take. And, again, just communicating to family and friends, hey, if you're, you know, got a sniffle, a cough, you're not feeling well, please don't come by and visit. Um, what were some other things? Um, I think that was pretty much it, but we, we were on yeah, lockdown for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think another um, misconception is, like, comparing the parents. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, like, putting all all parents of, of premature babies or babies that are in the NICU in the same boat. Uh-huh. So the, the standards that this set of parents has, all parents should have. Yeah, um, you know, so if you decide to stay in for a year, if you decide to stay in for six months, like it's right. totally up to you, right? And exactly. you know, as the parents, and I think that's another misconception that's common. Um, yeah, is, is putting all NICU parents in the same mm-hmm. boat because every situation and scenario is different. Like my journey was not your journey, or my baby's yeah. diagnosis is not your baby's diagnosis, and you know, so you you definitely have to be careful about that. Well, this is this is what I done, and this is what you should do. No, 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 no. Um, that's what you done, and this is what I'm gonna do mm-hmm. for my preemie. <laughs> what I feel is important for my preemie, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, we definitely have to be careful about that in the preemie parent community, and just you know, in general, with uh, full term babies as well. You know, people tend to do that, but um, 
we should definitely, definitely not try to put, you know, put our experience and what we've done onto, push that onto someone else because every situation is different and every journey is different. Most definitely. Most definitely. What were a few of um, the resources that were available to you? Do you feel like you had a lot of support while you were in the NICU as far as resources and, you know, whether it was psychological services or, you know, whatever it was, um, did you have a lot of support? I would say I did have, I had the support of my family. I had the support of my husband and um, my family. Um, I wished that I would have, I did have the support. So the social work in the hospital connected me to resources such as, I think it was SSI because he was born so um, prematurely. Caleb qualified for SSI, social uh, supplemental, social, is it su- social supplemental income, something I like that. Yes. I can't quite mm-hmm. remember. Yes. So he qualified for SSI. He qualified for Medicaid. So we were able to get that resource. And it, it was really, really beneficial, and it really helped us tremendously because uh-huh. at that time, of course, I was not going back to work. Like, that was just not happening with my son. And yeah. Him. And him fighting for life and me trying to make sure he's okay, I was like, I can't, I'm not going back to work. So that didn't happen. And um, so that was nice to help us, you know, to have that additional supplemental income and to um, for him to be able to, you know, get, have some, you know, insurance coverage as well. Um, so I had those resources. But in terms of, like, um, having the support of, like, other preemie moms around me and being able to talk to them and being able to vent, like, I really didn't have that. I Like I said, I knew of um, one of our friends, some good friends of ours, they had given birth prematurely to their daughter. So we did have them as a support to be able to kind of just, you know, share with us their experience and things like that. But I didn't have anybody that I can call and say, hey, you know, this is how I'm really feeling um, about, you know, being in the NICU and this, you know, I'm, I'm kind of feeling sad or I'm kind of, I'm mm-hmm. kind of worried. Like I didn't have a go-to person really that I could reach out to who I felt would understand what I was encountering while I was in the NICU and even after he came home, um, which led me to kind of um, start my organization, my predestined so that there would be, you know, support and resources in a community of women who could reach out um, and get the support that they need. But I just, I, I didn't know anything about, you know, there being um, organizations that helped women who were in the uh-huh. NICU, um, or beyond. I didn't know anything about that <laughs> until I, yeah. of course, I started trying to form my own organization and start doing some research. And then I came across like a plethora of different organizations who offered, you know, support and resources to um, women who were in the NICU. And yeah. I wish that I had known about them um, Same here. at that time. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say a lot of the parents that I've talked to have, have said the same thing as far mm-hmm. as there not being a lot of, like, support while they were in the NICU as mm-hmm. far as from the hospital standpoint. Um, yeah. Those resources were limited. And, you know, my husband and I experienced the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that's kind of interesting, um, you know, that most of the support, if any, came from outside of the NICU. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, mm-hmm. like, you know, once my daughter came home, I found out about the Facebook group mm-hmm. um, too. for preemie and NICU moms, which have mm-hmm. been so helpful. But I'm like, where were these? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, where were all of but these I groups just, when I was in the NICU? <laughs> exactly. And then right. even um, connecting with different people throughout, you know, NICU Awareness Month, 
realizing how many resources are available, but that we just didn't know about them. We weren't exactly. told about them while we were in the NICU. So I'm, I'm hoping that eventually more support will be, the support that's being offered will actually mm-hmm. be handed to the parents while they're in the NICU versus them having to kind of seek it out on their own, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That would that would be so, so helpful because I just remember, I remember our social worker, like she gave us the information about SSI. She gave us the information about, you know, Medicaid and things like that and how to go through, you know, that process. But beyond that, there was no, like, you can call this person if you're starting to feel, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder or if you're feeling, uh, yeah. you know, any, you know, any postpartum um, depression, like not, no type of resources like that were ever offered to me. And so definitely, definitely these do a better job in just kind of um, getting, you know, getting the ho- the hospitals being able to know what's offered in their community or just, you know, trying to help and then giving, mm-hmm. giving those resources to women that are in the NICU. I agree. How has it been um, coping with the, you know, lasting emotional effects? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, NICU experiences are traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. how has it been for you coping? Like, what would you recommend um, for those that are still? Because I know, you know, I'm I'm still, <laughs> of yeah. course, you know, trying to work through emotional, you know, trauma. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how have you been coping? Are you still experiencing some? Because um, I know, like, if I watch certain videos, like, I'll get emotional and I can't watch it. Because yeah, you know if I if it's a lot of the beeping and familiar sounds from the NICU, like it really yeah. takes me back. Um, so what are some things that you would recommend? Even like your son being you know six years old, mm-hmm. you know, are you still experiencing experiencing some of those emotional effects? And how would you go about you know coping with it? Absolutely. So um, what I recommend is definitely you know speaking seeking out someone who um, helps individuals with trauma, who've dealt with trauma, like a trauma-focused counselor or therapist um, to help you to just be able to process and unpack everything that you encountered and process those feelings and those emotions. Um, I would also recommend making sure that you have a a community of support around you, other women who've gone yes. through with you that you can reach out to and you can vent to and you can talk to and you can pour your heart out to, um, you know, to be able to help support you and guide you through, you know, your transition from NICU to home. Because just because you discharge NICU doesn't mean that your NICU journey is in it. It's, 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 yeah, you're still having to, you know, process some things. You're still having to deal with some things. And mm-hmm. so I would definitely recommend making sure that you have a tribe of women around you, people that you trust, that you can confide in, that you can, you know, tell them, you know, hey, I'm feeling really, really, I feel a little bit of depression. Um, I really need to talk to somebody, like somebody you can confide in and talk to, and they can encourage you to get the help and support that you need. Um, myself personally, how I have gotten through is, First and foremost, my faith. Um, I just my my faith in God is my lifeline. So just prayer and you know um, talking to God and prayer has gotten me through. Um, I will say also um, having the support of my husband, a supportive spouse, and having yeah. um, family members around me who were here. I think my mother in law was here two almost a month, almost two months, 
after Caleb came home. And so I was trying to nurse and pump, and we were on a struggle to give meds (laughs) and change tubes. I mean, it was a whole situation. And we all had to have our own, you know, um, particular times where we fed Caleb. We were all on a shift, and I don't know what I would have done had I not had that. Um, Yeah. In terms of still coping, I still find myself, He's six years old, and I still find myself checking to see if he's breathing. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> he came wow. home on a, a with the I think it's a the um I can't even remember how to pronounce it. It's the oximeter, I think that's how you post mm-hmm. He came home with a post ox that would kind of um keep a reading on his oxygen levels and kind of you know let us know of his heart rate and stuff like that, and so. You know, sometimes it would go off and I would freak out here at home. And, I'm you know, sure, not, yeah. only, not only did we have all the beeping in the NICU, but we had the beeping at home. And if it went off at home, then, you know, I'm freaking out like, okay, what's going on? Yeah. Um, but I even find myself now, even at the age of six years old, like going in his room and, wow. you know, putting my hand on his chest and being like, is he breathing? Like making wow. sure his chest is moving up and down. Or I'll ask my husband, have you checked on Caleb yet? Can you make sure he's breathing? Like I literally say, make sure he's breathing. And so wow. like, we both kind of do that. And um, even when he's eating food, sometimes certain food, um, because we had some feeding issues, like I'm always worried and afraid of him choking. Like, no, slow down. No, don't take such a big of a bite. And he's sick, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm just always, yeah, I'm always afraid of, like, him choking or not breathing or, or just something. And so that still comes with it. And my husband and I, we're always telling one another, he's he's okay, he's okay, he's okay, he's okay, he's home, he's okay, you know. And, yeah, reassuring. Mm-hmm. And um, so definitely making sure that you have support, definitely making sure that, you know, if you feel like you need to talk to a professional counselor, there is nothing wrong with that. Um, talking yeah. to a professional counselor to help you unpack and deal with those feelings and emotions and the trauma of that. I mean, that was an, a traumatic experience. And so I definitely re- highly recommend it. Um, in terms of watching videos sometimes, in the beginning, earlier on when I would watch videos, there would be lots of tears, like tears of sadness, yep. like, you know, yeah. Like, man, I didn't want him to go through this. And I still feel that way now. Yeah. Um, But now when I look at his videos, I still feel like, oh, I didn't want him to go through that. But then I also transition from God brought him through that. God brought us through that. Lord, thank you for bringing us through that. Like, I go into praise mode of just thanking God for just, you know, keeping him strong and healthy. So I definitely kind of just, you know, thank God for his life, literally his life. Um. But I, I still have those moments. I still have moments now. I had moments then, and I still have moments where I'm like, I feel like I was robbed of my third trimester. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to take maternity photos. Yeah. Um, newborn photos. Of, right. No newborn yeah. photos. Um, I think the only newborn photo I have of him is when he was in the NICU, the yeah. free photo that they do. And, um, yeah. But and as I far as, like, newborn photo shoots and yeah. the ma- the matching robes and, and Yeah, none of that. Yeah, 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 that did not happen. And so, and I remember going back and forth when he was born. I was like, do I want to do a birth announcement? Do I not? Do I do I? And I just yeah. decided not to do it. And um, just a lot that I feel like 
I know that I missed out on. And so I I missed out on my third trimester, the fraternity photo shoot, the newborn photos, you know, all of that stuff that you normally do when you, you know, when a woman goes full term and delivers her baby, like, yeah, all of that. I grieved that third trimester. Yeah, and, it's definitely grief. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I find myself just being like, man, when I get pregnant again, I can't wait to be able to take maternity photos or I can't wait to be able to, you know, have a baby shower and my baby is still in utero and not in the NICU and then I'm at the baby shower and there's no baby inside of my stomach. Like, I do not want yeah. to do this again. You know, all of that. And yeah. I had so much regret, too, thinking, you know, when they told me I had the incompetent cervix and yeah. I, remember, I remember prior to I was having, like, um, I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I would feel like I had urinated on myself. And I would be like, is this normal? Well, maybe it's normal. So I never said anything about my to my OB about it. But come to find out, like, that was one of the signs of an incompetent cervix or, gotcha. you know. Um, yeah. Okay. And so just, just all of that. Like, I kind of blamed myself for a while. I was trying to think, yeah. what did, did I you, do? Did you experience guilt? Right. I had guilt. Yeah. I was like, what did I do? What did I not do? Tiffany, maybe you shouldn't have wore those pants. You shouldn't have wore those pants that you were just <laughs> yeah. trying to squeeze into as yeah. your belly was growing. Like, it was so much stuff. And I, yeah. I was just trying to go and process in my mind, like, it had to be something that you did. But yeah. now I've come to the realization that it was nothing that I done. Absolutely. Like, I didn't do anything. It was just Absolutely something that not. happened. Yeah. yeah. And and that's another misconception is that you did something. Mhm. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yep. So I, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that's so true. So what would you say is I guess the biggest lesson that you learned from the experience and that you would tell parents that are going through it right now? The biggest lesson that I think I learned through this experience was faith and hope and trust in God. Um, and also um, knowing that although I can't be as hands-on as I would have liked to have been, that mm-hmm. I can still contribute to my child's care. Um, just doing kangaroo care like that help your baby immensely for them to be able to lay up against your skin during your heartbeat. It helps to regulate their breathing. It helps them to grow. So you are absolutely helping your baby. Um, So that's the biggest lesson that I learned is that I didn't have to, like, be the one, per se, giving him the -the round-the-clock care. But I think, mm-hmm. like, it was important for me to be able to be there and do kangaroo or to be able to nurse him whenever he could suck, swallow, and breathe on his own or yeah, um, whenever it was time to introduce the bottle. Like, being able to do those things helped me feel like I was helping, like I was a part of him growing and thriving. So the biggest lesson that I learned was being able to let go a little bit and allowing the team to do what they do, and then me do what I can do, and then own that. Like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, this is how I'm doing it. So mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. Just do what, do what you can do in terms of how you can help your baby and own it and, you know, feel good about that. I mean, the situation is not ideal. The situation that you're in is not something you expected, but, you know, do what you can to be hands-on with your baby when, it's, you know, you can be hands-on and um, and just 
give it all you got. Give it yeah. all you got. Your baby needs you. He needs that skin to skin. And to hear your voice, to read to them, sing to them, all of that, all of that helps. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us more about um, your business? Yes, absolutely. So my predestined one is a nonprofit, faith-based nonprofit organization that I founded in 2016. And I founded the organization after, of course, going through my own journey of infertility, um, struggling to conceive, for, uh, trying to conceive Caleb. And um, then he went on to be a be born a micropremium. So it's just um, something that God spoke to my heart about. Um mm-hmm telling me to help other women walk through their infertility journeys and believing and keeping hope as they wait for babies, wait for their micro-destined ones, and um, to continue to help women and couples who are in the NICU. Um, I just remember being in there and, again, like not having anybody that I can talk to, although there were other people around me who were also in the NICU, I felt like I really didn't have time to kind of like make a friend or or, you know, like I was so focused on my baby. And so I found it my predestined one so that um, women could could have a community of support, a community of sisterhood um, for people, um, peer support, and other women who knows what it's like to be in the NICU, who knows what it's like to walk through infertility and be able to encourage you. We encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another. Um, So that's what my predestined one does. We um, provide, you know, um, support, resources, and education um, to women during pregnancy, during infertility, and premature birth and beyond. And we desire to bring global awareness to infertility and premature birth and what that entails. Okay, good, good. And now that I think about it, um, do you mind, like, just sharing a little bit about, um, because I'm, I'm sure it was tough coming from, you know, experience with infertility mm-hmm. and then having to go through the NICU. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that? Oh, gosh. That was a process. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Like, I think that's a powerful part of your story, um, and it really stuck out to me when you sent your bio. Um, just that transition, I'm sure, was just yeah, um, without words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It was it was very emotionally taxing, physically taxing. Um, we started, my husband and I started trying to conceive in um, 2011, May of 2011. And prior to us getting married, like we already knew that I had a diagnosis of PCOS and that we need some help. But when I got that diagnosis, just being naive, not really knowing a lot about it, I was like, oh, well, we'll just need, you know, a little bit of help. We'll go to a doctor to help us get pregnant. It won't be that bad. But, boy, <laughs> was I wrong. Um, so we started with the OB doing um, Clomid, uh, some rounds of Clomid, and um, that's, that's a particular drug that uh, stimulates uh, ovulation. Um, okay. And that didn't work for us. It didn't work at all. And then we moved on to a fertility specialist and did some rounds of intrauterine um, insemination, um, also known as IUI. And um, this is where um, they, again, stimulate your ovaries to be able to ovulate. And then when it's about time, close time for ovulation, they have you come into the clinic and they um, inject your husband's sperm inside of the cervix. And you hope okay. for a baby. <laughs> 
And um, so we did several rounds of that, and we ended up getting pregnant uh, twice from IUI, um, but both times it ended in miscarriage, um, tubal miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, my um, fertility doctor wanted us to move forward with IVF. And so uh, we moved forward with IVF, and this week we had our first IVF cycle in May of 2012, and then we conceived uh, Caleb our second round of our IVF cycle, and that was in June, I think, or July. We found out we were pregnant with him. And so the whole process to him was just, it was hard. It was emotionally hard. Um, It took a lot out of us financially. It took a lot out of us emotionally. It took a lot out of me spiritually because I – you know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a strong woman of faith, but I had questions like, God, why me? Why me? Yeah. Why me? You know, and after that second miscarriage, I was like, you know, I don't think I need faith anymore. I don't think I need to pray anymore. I don't think I need to go to church anymore. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, after just working through all those emotions and disappointment and letdown, like I was finally able to, you know, draw back closer to God and get the strength that I needed to keep pressing forward to be able to, um, you know, pursue motherhood and, you know, we yeah. can see Caleb and it was not an easy process at all. And it's I'm just, sure. it, it is very, very hard and draining. And, um, and women that are walking through that, I have such a heart for them. Women that are walking through the NICU, I have such a heart for them because I know what it's like to be afraid. On one end with infertility, you're afraid of never, ever being a mom or ever conceiving. Yeah. Um, and if you, you know, gone through a miscarriage, once you conceive, you're happy, yay, but then you're afraid to you're get, scared. yeah, you're afraid that you're going to miscarry again, and so then you get through that, and then in my case, you, you give birth at 25 yeah. weeks, and it's like, okay, God, like, why are we here? Like, why is this happening? You yeah. Know? And so Caleb's story and his journey is just, it's a miracle story. It's a testimony. And I share it with him all the time, and I know that one day he's going to be able to share it with others. And I'm yeah. always sharing it with other women just to, you know, push them closer to God and help them to know that God is a God of the impossible, and he walks with us through all of those hearts up and down. Yes, he is with us. And it doesn't feel like it at the moment. It feels like he's, you know, somewhere 2,000 miles away, but he is right <laughs> yeah. here with you, walking you through that process. And in hindsight, like, I can definitely – the moments where he was with me and comforted me and strengthened me and just, you know, just worked things out, whereas at the time I couldn't see it. But now in hindsight, looking back, like, I can definitely see his hand, you know, all in the situation. And so mm-hmm. it's it's a hard process. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, that's just so inspirational. And it's, I'm sure it will help a lot of people who are able to listen to this episode. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your books? I know you've I know you've written one, I think, and you co-authored. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I um, I wrote well, the first book I co-authored was um, uh, Letters to My Sister: Teaching Power Apply. That was through my women's ministry um, at my church. We okay, all awesome. just all mm-hmm, all the women in our ministry just got together and said, Hey, let's just write this book. We had a women's conference coming up, and we decided to write letters to our sisters, to other women who were dealing with different things. We all just chose our different topics to write about, and we just poured our heart out and just encouraged women. Um, So that book is just just a book of encouragement, like, for just different issues, from motherhood to infertility to, uh, you know, faith to fear. It it encompasses a lot of different topics. 
and you will receive some awesome and amazing encouragement um, from that book. And it's available on Amazon. Okay. And um, I also authored my own book in August of last year, Fearless Journey to Motherhood, Fighting Fear with Faith During Infertility and Pregnancy. And this book was, um, it started with me just posting on Instagram back in 20, I think 15, maybe 2016. Um, okay. And I just called it, you know, Fighting Faith with Fear, you know, and I mean, Fighting Fear with Faith, um, Overcoming Overcoming Fear with Faith. And I just kind of posted a scripture and then a prayer starter. And so I just okay. kept doing this for 10 days. And, I, and as I got closer to the 10th day, God spoke to my heart. And he's like, I need you to put this in a book. I need you to put it in book form. And I'm like, wait, whoa, no, I don't know anything about writing a book. Like, how do I do this, Lord? And uh-huh. so, but, <laughs> but I wanted to be obedient. Although I didn't yeah. know, you know, my next step, I wanted to be obedient. And so. I just I, I, I just did it. So it took me about two and a half, maybe three years to actually get it published. But I just did it, and I just went to work. And the book is just full of – it's a 10-day devotional, and okay. it's a book that's meant to to give you God's perspective and to direct your heart and place your heart back on God and gotcha. not on your situation. Place your eyes back on God and what he's promised you um, – you know, as a mother and the and the desire that he's placed in your heart, he put that desire there. And so it's just a 10-day journey of drawing closer to God as you're trusting God for that baby, um, drawing closer to God in his word. Um, there's prayer starters, and there's it's so filled with encouragement. And um, not only that, there's also um, journal pages, line pages for you to be able to journal. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. And just write about, you know, what you're dealing with. Like on day one, what are you dealing with? What is the fear that you're dealing with on day one? Write that down. Like how are you going to overcome this fear? And, you know, just walking you through the process of what did God say about the scripture for day one? What is his promise to you in this scripture? So really being able to pick it apart and go, this is what God is saying, and this is what this is his promise to me, and I can rely and I can stand on this promise and have faith in this promise as I'm believing him for this baby. Um, so it's definitely a book that helps strengthen faith, that helps um, give renew your hope and strengthen your faith and helps you release fear because fear is not of God. He did not give us a spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to help you through that and walk you through that. And then in the back there's two um, prayers, one prayer, a declaration, of, a declaration, um, a prayer of declaration over infertility, and then a prayer for those who walk through infertility but are now pregnant and they're having gotcha. fear of miscarrying. So there's a, a pregnancy, I mean, a, a prayer there as well to be able to pray against fear during your pregnancy. And so I just feel like God just really just led me in writing this book and just really, like, really guided my hand and what to say and how to say it and what to include. And so it's just my hope that it just, it blesses women and they be reminded that God is for them. He is not against them, and he gave them that desire, and he's for them in terms of conceiving, and he's for them in terms of knowing that they will be mothers. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you. I love that. I love that. Um, Where can you be found on social media? I am, um, you can go to my website, TiffanyFinley.com, and subscribe there for updates um, about what we have going, what I have going on, um, on the blog, and, um, new events and things where I'm going to be speaking um, to be able to keep up with that um, as well. And I'm also a doula. And so there's – Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I'm also a certified doula. I got certified in July of this year. And so 
Um, if you're expecting and you're in the Dallas area, you're needing a doula, um, reach out to me. You can go to my site at tiffanyfilling.com and um, schedule a free consultation to be able for us to sit down and just talk about, you know, what you're looking for in a doula to make sure that I'm a good fit for you. Um, so you can find me at tiffanyfinley.com. You can find me on Instagram um, at Tiffany underscore Finley. And um, you can also find um, my organization, um, My Predestined One on Instagram at My Predestined One. And you can go to our site at mypredestinedone.org and get more information about us there and get involved, um, get connected to some of our support groups. We have in-person support groups here in Dallas um, for infertility and preemie moms. And we also have an in-person support group in Atlanta, Georgia, for infertility. So if you're in Georgia um, and you're looking for a support group, please reach out to us so we can get you connected to the right person, to our leader there who leads that group, and um, so you can have the support and sisterhood that you need on your infertility journey. And you can have the support and sisterhood you need um, here in Dallas if you're walking through infertility or premature birth or in the NICU. So awesome. So awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to, you know, be a guest on the show um, and for sharing your story um, and just your testimony. Um, this was this was an amazing conversation. I really Aww. appreciate you, and I appreciate, um, you know, just everything that you're doing. I believe that it's necessary and that it's helping a lot of people um, and giving them hope, you know, in situations that, that seem, you know, hopeless or where they may feel helpless. So. Thanks for all that you do, and um, thank you for being willing to share your story. Absolutely, and thank you for having me. Thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to come on and just kind of talk about NICU awareness and share my story. I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and make sure that you connect with Tiffany on social media. Did you enjoy this episode? I'd love for you to continue the conversation with those around you. One way you can do that is by purchasing the MSE Podcast Conversation Starter Stick, available at bygracenp.com. Be sure to leave a review on one of MSE's listening platforms, share with a friend, and join the My Sentiments Exactly podcast community on social media at MSE Podcast. The podcast is available for listening on all major streaming platforms, bygracenp.com and on my mobile app. Hope to hear from you soon.